today in this second Peter or first Peter this is a popular uh, text we've heard it before but the Lord has some stuff here that he wants to say second Peter first Peter I keep saying second Peter maybe I should be going to second Peter first Peter chapter 2 is probably why I'm saying that verse 9 reads but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have mercy this morning I want to talk to you from this thought the village maker the village maker father thank you for this moment speak clearly I ask you Lord Jesus that you would uh, lay before us the pictures that you have pressed into my heart make it clear so we can all hear you at the same level pray God that you would allow your Holy Spirit to start writing on the tablets of our hearts that your word will live in us so think through my mind speak through my mouth give me clarity of thought and agility of will give me the resources today to talk in the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus name amen so as we have been talking to you about this how God uses community to preserve destiny so last week or the last two weeks we talked about Joash and how he was a baby but God used the people around him to save him and keep him until it was time for him to take the throne. And we talked about the fact that it takes a village to preserve a destiny. I believe that with all of my heart. I was raised that way. I was raised um, not just with mom and dad and two sisters in the house, but my sisters had friends. And I was able to hang out with them at an early age simply because uh, my mom and dad loved my sister's friends, and my sister's friends loved my mom and dad, and they loved me. So they took care of me, too, when I went out and hung out with them, and uh, my sisters and their friends, because we believed that it took a village. I was never taught that these are, the only, these are the only family members you have. I was never taught that, okay? I was taught that you stick together. You know, I was taught that you don't show out on, you don't get out there and, act and start flipping on and turning on your, your sisters. You don't do that. But I wasn't taught that this is all you have because we had extended family. My mom and dad uh, fed so many people that we have extended family. I mean, when my sisters and I can't get to Durham now, we have a God sister who was raised with them that has keys to, our, to our, my dad's house access. She was there many days when we thought daddy was gone because we were raised to know that we have extended family. That has been a blessing in my life because what I've, seen, what I've seen in my life is that because my mom and dad sowed into so many lives, what they really did was sowed seeds for their children. So as I left Durham and came to Atlanta, there were people sowing into my life even to this day. I am absolutely amazed at how God does what he does. So what I told you, I lost my wallet. And one, let me tell you the most stressing thing about losing my wallet was actually losing my wallet. The actual wallet. Because the actual wallet was a nice wallet. Now, I didn't get that wallet from Walmart. But it was orange. It's my favorite color. 
So I want my wallet back. Y'all get, I feel like Fred Sanford and Bubba. I want my daddy's records. I want my wallet back. That's the only thing that really stressed, out, stressed me out. Take all the stuff out of there because there's some protection on that. I just want my wallet. So my sister says to me, do you, um, do you, uh, do you want a wallet like you had? And I was like, eh, I, I don't know. I mean, she texted me. I was like, why are you asking me that? Well, my niece <laughs> was vacationing in Myrtle Beach. And so she had gone, my, my niece was in the coach outlet when she found out about my wallet. So, I mean, in less than 24 hours when I told my sister what was going on, there was a picture coming up in my text like, is this the wallet? Do you want it? And I was like, yeah, I got to get some tires. I bet not. <laughs> so then um, she says, don't worry about it. I'll have her get it for you. So when I see my niece today, I'm going to have my wallet back. It's just amazing that while I'm in here, I'm here in Atlanta, news travels, and people are able to put their hands on. Don't get caught up on the fact that it was coached. Don't get caught up on that because that's not where I am. Where I am is that God goes before you when you have a community. Okay? So then my cousin Lois, who had to drive out of town yesterday, who didn't know that my sister had gotten a wallet, was at a coach outlet, called me. was like, hey, I'm at a coach outlet. You want your wallet? I was like, I was like, Ronnie, she already got it. We're good. She was like, doesn't it feel good to know that people love you? It feels good not just to know that, but it feels good to live in community. Now listen, that's small. That's superficial. Don't get hung up on that. But what I want you to see is this whole connection piece. It's the connection piece that because of community, people think about you because you're not isolated. I saw the chestnuts yesterday crossing the street. I was downtown. And so I rolled my window down. I said, hey, chestnuts. What was so funny is right after that, I was on my way to Whole Foods, and uh, I bought some Honeycrisp apples. And I remember when I introduced the chestnuts to Honeycrisp apples, and I told them, I said, these are the best apples. And I thought yesterday, boy, if I knew where they were, I would just go buy them some apples just to say, remember when I connected y'all with these apples? Because community causes you to think about people at different levels, large, small. Y'all hear what I'm saying? See, we got to teach our kids community because, see, our kids feel like community is Snapchat. That's fake. Them people don't like you. They don't like you. As a matter of fact, when you do well on your Snapchat and show them some of your successes, they don't even like that stuff. They don't, they don't give you, I don't know, do they give likes on, do they, can they like Snapchat? You know what I'm talking about, though. What do they do on Snapchat? View. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying. I don't mess with Snapchat. I don't mess with Snapchat. It's too much of an invasion. Too much. I'm like, no Snapchat in my house. Don't nobody need to know what's in my house. <laughs> Snapchat in the car when they can't see nothing but a blur behind you. Don't Snapchat in my house. But my point is, I believe that social media is a false sense of community. Because some people follow you just so they can see where you are in the seasons of your life. You hear what I'm saying? Oh, I know what they're going through over there. Let me see what they're posting. That ain't sincere. 
I'm almost at the, the, you know, I do social media for promotional reasons and business reasons, but I'm almost at the, the thing where I'm thinking now is, if you don't have my personal phone number, I probably don't need to follow you and you don't need to follow me. Because if it's really that, I could just text you. I could text you a meme. Okay. So anyway, I, um, so we've been talking about this. And so when we started this series, although we talked about Joash in 2 in, uh, Kings chapter 11, I started that sermon by referring to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 5. And I want to remind you of what it says because I, I think that we need to uh, hear this again today in a different way. Um, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, this, this particular text, or that verse is a part of my personal call narrative. When I got called to preach, before I even knew what the verse was, I heard the Holy Spirit say in my spirit, look at Jeremiah 1. I didn't even know what it said. But it made sense when I read it, it just leapt in my spirit because of some other prophetic words that had come. So this text has personal appeal because when you read it, we hear the Lord say, I knew you, I sanctified you, I ordained you. So it has this personal appeal to this text because when you, and I got to be honest, when I read it, I only think of me. Okay? Let me be honest. I think about the fact that before I was formed in my mama's womb, the Lord had a conversation with me. <laughs> he knew me. That was an intimate interaction. He uh, ordained me. He called me. All that kind of stuff. I think about that with me. But as, as the Lord was talking to me about this text this week, he said, yeah, but I had that same encounter with the person sitting beside you. He said to me, that's why you cannot discount people. That's why you can't judge people for their actions. Listen, because you don't like the person sitting beside you and because they didn't speak to you or because they are imperfect, that does not disqualify the conversation that God had with them before they were formed in their mother's womb. So, Siobhan, the bottom line is, he talked to me before I was born or formed. He talked to you before you were formed. So even the people that you don't like have had an intimate encounter with God before they were even form, uh, born or uh, formed in their mother's womb. I'm going somewhere. Because our challenge is we look at people based on how we like them. I don't like them. They don't dress like me. I don't like them because of some of the things they did and said. I don't like them because I know their background. I don't like them because so-and-so told me what they did, so-and-so-and-so. You know, I don't like them because I know their ex-wife. 
Oh, you know, I don't like them because I know they baby daddy. Oh, I can't get no talk in here. But the thing that we fail to realize is that regardless of what they did after they were born, they had an encounter with God before they were formed. I want you to see what I'm saying. Because we were all born and shaped in iniquity. And so before we stepped into the carrier of sin, we all had a conversation with God that talked about our destinies. So the truth of it is, I don't care what uh, uh, Charles Manson did, before he was the Charles Manson we know, he was actually a thought that God had. He was a thought in the mind that held the thought that is you. What are you saying, Pastor? You were a thought in the mind of God, so was Charles Manson. Is his name Charles? Okay. So was Jeffrey Dahmer. And so the problem is this. We look at people based on what they have done. God sees them based on what he has said to them. And he always gives them the benefit of the doubt based on the fact that I'm going to give my son for you and I realize you may not receive him. But based on the reason I put you here, the conversation I had before you got here, I'm going to always hold out hope that you're going to make the right decisions and come back to me. I'm going to always hold out hope. So in other words, because you don't like your neighbor, don't mean God doesn't like them. The truth of the matter, the fact that you don't like your neighbor, you run the risk of God not liking you. Oh, come on. Y'all don't want to hear what I'm saying. Why are you saying? Because you, you don't know what they did to me. I don't know what they did to you. But what I do know is that whatever they did to you, you might need to forgive them because the text tells us that we are forgiven as we forgive. Oh, wait a minute then. If that whole concept is true, then this notion of village and community is really crucial to not just our existence now, but our existence in heaven. Because if it takes me being forgiven to get to heaven, and if I have to be forgiven because I forgive, my ability to stay connected in a village has everything to do with my tomorrows. Y'all let that breathe a minute. I'm talking way deeper than I had planned to today. Because my challenge with people is that we discount people based on what we think about them. And God, you see, but you walk around saying, I got all this greatness inside of me. I am great. I am wonderful. I am this because God knew me before he formed me and he called me to do this. He called your neighbor too, the one that you won't speak to. Same conversation. I got something for you. Only thing different about that conversation was the thing that he had for them, which is probably different from the thing that he had for you. But the fact of the matter is God is talking to everybody 
about the greatness inside of them. So that's what makes him not an individual maker, but a village maker. Because what you consider is personal prophecy. God is considered, God considers it a communal word. Because he may have called you to wear a teal green shirt and called you to wear a red shirt, but the bottom line is he called everybody to be clothed in one place. Let it breathe. Y'all, y'all with me? Okay, so, and so, and so what we're finding out here is that when we look at it this way, is that God's plan steps further than the individual, but he is now calling a village. It is not just about Tim. And this, I mean, this is my declaration. My declaration is I'm favored. I've been favored all my life. I believe the friar name is favorite. With all the junk and mess attached to it. See, what God has favored, your mess can't, can't, can't step on that. I know, I know, I know. I know people keep telling you that you're going, you messing it up. You messing it up. Let me tell you something. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What are you saying? He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. See, that's why you got to get lined up with what he wants for you because you can damage your stuff. But when you get lined up in him, even your bad days are good days because he makes sure that he got you covered for his name's sake. So when I say that the friar name is favored, the friar name is favored as long as the friar name stays in God's plan. You hear what I'm saying? So it's not just individual, which is I get, I understand who I am, but it's not just individual, it is also communal. It is, it is this village that I am finding, and Paul goes on to teach about it, that says that we are all a part of one body. You may have a different assignment. That's a village. The way Christ looks at the church, he looks at it as his body. The challenge is we are are sometimes, the church as a whole, we are unkept because we keep thinking that we are not one. Watch. When one branch of the church, let's say denominational stuff, denominations. We, we don't talk to them. You know, we, we was born in Jesus' name only. That's how we was raised, Jesus' name only. If y'all not Jesus' name only, y'all not really saved. Oh, yeah, let this go, let this go viral. You know, if, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. And what we're missing is that we're all one body. So what, here's what happens. So then when the body eats, and the body makes a mess over there. Oh, oh we, got, we got crumbs and, and ketchup and mustard running down. Because one hand thinks, I'm not a part of that. And the other hand thinks, I'm not a part of that. So no, and because the feet says, I can't reach that. Because the ear says, I wasn't made, 
I wasn't even made to stretch, much less carry a, a napkin. So one hand says, that's not me. The other hand says, I ain't a part of that. So then the mouth is a mess. Because parts of the body want to detach themselves, not realizing that if God really did detach them, they would shrivel up and die. And so then we carry on in our denominations and we think we're still alive. You're just living on grace. You're just living on grace because you think you're righteous and others are not. Ooh. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, all right. So in our text today in 2 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter is, uh, Peter is talking here to a group of Christians who are going through some persecution where they got some of their own stuff going on too. So you have to go back and read um, definitely the beginning of chapter 2 because he starts talking about lay aside malice and slander and all this other stuff. And what he's basically saying to them is because you have been baptized, there there are some things that should no longer be a part of your life. And I love the way the text says it because it says that you need to lay it down. He didn't say go pray and ask God to help you lay it down. He just said you need to make a decision to let some stuff go. That is not what I'm coming to preach about. But the bottom line is some stuff has nothing to do with God helping you. Some of it is you need to make a decision that that's not who I am anymore. Okay. But as we read chapter 2, chapter 2, actually the whole uh, epistle, both epistles of Peter has a lot of foundation in Old Testament. And so there's one text that comes out, leaps out to me that I want to show you as we start talking about the village maker and how God is intentional about touching people and calling people into a place where he wants them, wants to use them, wants to bless them. And I guarantee you that the place that God calls us into for service and blessing is not alone. It's not alone. I want you to look at Exodus real quick. Look at Exodus chapter 19. God is intentional. So here's what it says, verse 3. Chapter 19, verse 3 says, As Moses went up to meet God, God called down to him from the mountain. Speak to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, You have seen what I did to Egypt and how, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, all of the peoples, uh, I'm sorry, uh, out of all the peoples of, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, if you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, out of all the peoples, you will be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from, but you are special. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, this is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. So now, 
in this particular text, the people are about 90 days out of, uh, out of uh, e- Egyptian captivity, okay? All the plagues, the water split, and they went through, and then as, as uh, the enemy came through, the water covered them up, drowned everybody, okay? They, uh, listen, they are basically 90 days out from baptism. They had just come through the water. And at 90 days, their leader is going to talk to God. And before he even gets to the meeting place, God says, hey, tell the people, remind them of what I did to Egypt. Watch this. And how I brought them out on eagle's wings. So what we're finding now is that God was intentional in not just saving them, but how he saved them. The text says that he told them, I brought y'all out on eagle's wings to me. He could have said, I just brought them out, but he was specific. And I love to read the Bible for not just what it says, but I also like to read it for what it is inferring. Because it is inferring that I brought you to me, which says I could have delivered you and took you somewhere else. But I brought you to me, which says that God is intentional about saving us. He's not just intentional about salvation. He is intentional about what he delivers you from, but also what he delivers you to. Because if he had just delivered them from the Egyptians, they would have still been in the wilderness without a God. But because he delivered them to him, they are now in the wilderness still, but they have a God. Let me tell you all something. I know you feel like being in bad situations is just just horrible, but I'm telling you now, I'd rather you be in a bad situation with God than to be in a bad situation without him. When I look at some of the tragedy... When I look at, listen, when I look at parents who have to bury children, my first prayer is always, Lord, if they don't know you, would you make it somehow that they get to know you through this? Because I know that if I hadn't had you in burying my child, I don't know where I would be right now. So if I got to be in a bad situation, I want to be in a bad situation with him. So the text says that he brought them. He delivered them. He was intentional in bringing them to himself. So not only that, he goes on to say, all right, I brought y'all on eagle's wings. In other words, when I did bring y'all out, I brought y'all out in first class. Now, now you got to see this because he brought them out with a miracle. He didn't bring them out, just come out. I'm going to keep the enemy behind you and y'all just come out. He said, I'm going to let the enemy chase you down. I mean, this was a motion picture. I'm going to let the enemy chase you down. I'm going to let you get in between them and water. And then you know that if you go forward, you're going to die. If you go back, they're going to kill you. So I'm going to let you. This is going to be epic. This is Game of Thrones right here. He says, then I'm going to open the water up. And let you walk across, walk across, listen, on dry land. Y'all do realize that there was a plethora of miracles happening here. Aim not just, just, just delivering them, but the miracle of the fact that the water moved. 
But then there was a miracle that the water moved in such a way that the ground was dry, miracle number two. The fact that they were able to walk through all of that, miracle number three. You know what I'm saying? And get to the other side. And once the last person got to the other side, maybe the water stayed open just enough to tell Pharaoh and them, come on, I'm going to let y'all through too. Come on, come on. <laughs> Guy, <he. laughs> Miracle number four, five, six, seven, eight. A plethora of miracles here. Because God says, I want to bring you out first class. I'm going to bring you out on eagle's wings. Eagle's prestigious bird. That was symbolic. I don't even have time to deal with everything in, in the text of scriptures that talks about, but we know that those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like what? Because he always takes us back to the principle of first mention. The way I delivered you is going to be the way you always recover when you come out of something. Come on. I brought you out on eagle's wings. So when you get tired, the way you get restored, I'm going to take you back up on those eagle's wings again because I need you to remember your salvation. David writes, restore the joy of my salvation. The truth of the matter is, if we remember our salvation more often, we wouldn't be as depressed as we have been. If we remember our salvation, the way he brought them out. He said, I brought them out, I brought you out of me on eagle's wings. He says, now, here's what I want you to do. He says, I brought you out on eagle's wings. He says, but if you will listen to me obediently, listen obediently to what I say, keep my covenant. So now what we're saying, we find out that he was intentional about saving them, but he was also intentional about establishing the boundaries of this covenant. He's intentional. He says, now, what I'm really about to do, I'm about to put it together a crew. So this is what God is doing. God is putting together his posse. I wish I had time to really deal with this like I wanted to, because the thing that we miss in being God's people, uh-oh, get ready, Vince. <coughs> if you put this out here, we might get, we might get some, uh, we might get some feedback. So I just got my, you know, I had been carrying around my passport because I needed some form of ID but I got my temporary license. So, when God heard the cry of a people in Egypt, what we find out through the text of scriptures all the way through even now to our text today in Peter, second, uh, first Peter, that these were really not a people, but because God is a village maker, what we find is that the, the children of Israel, hear me, the children of Israel, God's people, is really a race. What are you saying? I'm saying when you fill out stuff that asks you your nationality, for God's people, they do us a disservice. Are you white, black, Hispanic, Indian? Asian. There needs to be a line. Are you God's people? Because when I say yes to the conditions of this contract, as a black man, I give up my black card. We ain't ready for that. You say, I got tight. 
I am an African-American man, or I am a man who just so happens to be African-American. But when he brought me out on eagle's wings, what I am now is his people, and I am a race unto God, not an ethnicity. We don't want that. We don't want that kind of teaching. We want the blessing that this brings, but we don't want the responsibility that it calls us to. I'm Christocentric, not Afrocentric. See, God is making a village, and his village is his race. We get it wrong when we say we're going to get to heaven. And we're going to see all colors and nationalities. No. When we are his people, because once the text says we were not a people. And because of him, we are a people. So who are the people that we are? <laughs> I feel like I'm on Sesame Who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood. Y'all remember that song? In your neighborhood. I, I love that song. So I should respond, blood-washed people are my neighborhood, are my neighborhood. It has nothing to do with color. It has nothing to do with industry. It has nothing to do with, with uh, gender. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with the fact that he got me and set parameters, and he asked. He said, now listen, if y'all are obedient, if you do what I tell you to do, I want you to know something. You are my treasure. Watch this. My daddy always had, first of all, my daddy's wallet was like so thick. Like my daddy's wallet was, was a hernia. It was a hernia. Was your daddy wallet like that? Yeah, it would just sit out like that. He wondered why you had sciatica on your hip because you were sitting on a rock. So daddy would keep cash in his wallet. And so then when he had to do stuff, he would go in here and get his cash out. You know, this is days before ATMs and all of that. Go get his cash out. But there came a moment when what was in here was not enough. But I've seen him many days say to me, I don't have any more money. I don't have any more money. Daddy, I want to go do this. So let's do this. Can I buy this? Would you buy me this? I don't have any more money. I don't have any more money. But then there were moments when the ask or the need was special enough that he could not go in like this, he would have to go in like this. Y'all hear me? Because there was a special compartment that he kept what he would call emergency money. When life felt like you about to get the best of me, he would be like, nope, I got two fingers on it, and I'm going to slide. He will just slide out a $100 bill that says this problem is about to go away because I stuck something back. And what God is saying to us, if we decide to be obedient, we are his special treasure. That when life gets crazy, he goes into the two fingers of his wallet and pulls out his people. Because we are his special treasure. But the challenge that we miss, we're not the special treasure individually. We're special treasure as a unit. Thank you. 
I want you to hear this in the spirit that I, this is the, the example that the Lord has given to me right now. I want you to hear this in the spirit that I say it. Our praise team, to me, is amazing. Now watch. Now, and I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I can say that because I work with great singers all the time. I've traveled with some of the best in the world. But individually, our singers will tell you, I'm not going, I don't even want to sing a solo. Or they may tell you, I don't, I'm not going to do a record. I mean, that's not what I do, not who I am. So they don't have massive confidence in their abilities alone. But when they get together, there is an anointing that rests on these group of ladies who may not be on the world stage, but when they get on a stage together, there is power. There is an anointing. They have this level of access into a place in worship that individually we can't get to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the problem is we live in a community in a time today where individualism is what's celebrated. I'm a boss. There is no boss that's really worth being called a boss by themselves. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, I, listen, we can celebrate Steve Jobs all day, but Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, so high up, he didn't answer customer service calls. So if I'm a sour customer, but had an encounter with a great customer service agent that has changed my view of Apple, it had nothing to do with Steve. But Steve is the big boss. And so we celebrate Steve. But there was a, a Mary somewhere out there in, uh, where they at? Uh, uh, Cupertino. Cupertino, California. Or really, they all over the country now. Wherever she was that I had an encounter with her that made me change my view of corporate. Which says, you can't be a boss by yourself. As a matter of fact, if you are a boss by yourself, are you really a boss? I know people are going to say, I'm my own boss. No, 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 no. You work by yourself. You self-employed. The whole notion of being my own boss, the whole, the whole, the connotation there says there's somebody that you are bossing. You can't, you, you're not even a good boss of you. I ain't even going to get there. I, I'm going to let that ride. Oh, well. Okay, well, my time. My time. Okay, okay, okay. So let me just finish. Let me just finish this. Let me just finish this scripture, and then we'll move on next week with the rest of this. So, so put uh, 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 Exodus 19 back up. It says, if you'll listen and keep my covenant. I want you to be obedient. Keep my covenant. He was drawing lines. Right here, when he says, if you do this, out of all the people, all the peoples, you will be my special treasure. I'm going to end up right here. The whole earth, he says, is mine to choose from. Now watch. So God was intentional in saving them. He was intentional 
in setting boundaries for the relationship. Watch this. But he was also intentional in letting us know that there is a line of separation. Here's what we don't like. And I appreciate that God put it in here. He says, out of all the peoples of the world, which in, in other words, I created everything. And in me creating everything, there's only a special few that are going to be my treasure. He drew a line in the sand. We don't like this part. Because when God builds a village, he draws a line in the sand that says, although I made all of you, there is something I want out of you that I realize everybody's not going to give me. <laughs> and those that give it to me become my special treasure. Uh-oh. Now, this flies in the face of this whole notion that God has no respecter of persons. He doesn't. He had, I want to make sure we're clear, because it sounds like that's what I'm saying. Well, Pastor, you sound like you're saying that God has a respecter of persons. No, 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 no. He does not have a respecter of persons when it comes to who decides to cross over the line. He said, I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to step over here. Anybody can come with me if you follow these boundaries. I have no respect of a person. However, those that decide to come are my special treasure. Everybody else I just made. Whoa, CNN going to call me. So, Pastor Ferris, what you're really saying is, yeah, let's go back to the text so we can say what the text is saying. Go back. Let's go back. If you, will listen, if you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my commandments. I love the way God is specific because he didn't say just listen. He says listen obediently, which says you listen with the intent to do. Not listen for the intent of listening. Boy, I'm preaching so good today. I'm getting ready. I'm going to play for myself, Edge. I'm about to play for myself. Listen. See, there is a difference. <laughs> there is a difference with listening and listening with the intent to be obedient. Most of us listen with the intent to defend or rebut. Some listen with the intent just so you can say, I listened. But very few of us listen with the intent to be obedient. Like I am getting ready to put my clothes on to do whatever it is. You're, I don't even know what you're going to ask, but because I know I'm going to do it, I just want to be ready. If you listen, be obedient, hear what I say, well, you know, keep my covenant. Out of all the peoples, you will be special. So what God is really doing, God created a box almost like a gift box for himself. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a box and give everybody in the world an opportunity to step into my gift box. Because everybody is ready for me to give them gifts. But I want to know who was willing to be a gift to me. I'm going to step, I'm going to create my box. Keep going. He says, now, the whole earth is mine to choose from. That's why I'm telling you. I'm whispering because I don't want to be, I don't want to offend 
what God is saying is, I want to give you an opportunity to be created or have the choice to just be created or be special to me. I can choose anybody, but I'm going to get y'all. I'm getting ready to create my own village. Out of everybody in the world that I create, I love God. I love him because, listen, God flosses, and he, y'all don't even know he's flossing. He put some stuff out there, and he was like, listen, I created all of this. I just want you to know. And he said, what I really want you to know is I want you to know how special you are. The fact that I'm bringing this option to you. I got to go. So he says to them, I'm intentionally inviting you to be my treasure. All I want you to do. See, now this is where Peter is getting this whole notion, all this, 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 uh, this uh, drawing the line, because if you go back up in uh, 1 Peter 2 toward the beginning, he draws a line with like this line with the people who have been baptized and those who haven't. See, in, in our politically correct society, we don't like lines. We don't like lines. We don't like, we don't like for, for, for there to be any separation because we want to say stuff like, well, you know, you know, that's just not politically correct. I mean, we should just, just be, uh, what's, the, what's the new word? Uh, we got to diversify. We got to be diverse. We got to be, we got to be, we got to be. God says, yeah, I'll be diverse in that I'll let anybody do what I tell them. You see what I'm saying? See, see, that's his diversity. In other words, he sets a standard and he doesn't bring it down. See, I've had some people to be offended with me here at this church because I say to them, here's what the standard is right here. I'm not changing it because it's inconvenient to you. So I don't allow our leaders to bring our standard down, but I do have our leaders to teach and encourage to bring our people up to whatever the standard is. You see what I'm saying? And I listen, they call me bougie, they call me everything. Call me bougie. I'm going to let it rack. I'm going to let it go today. I'm going to close up right here. And I just thought, I don't know why I feel like I, I can finish in my head. I'm like, I'll finish this in 20 minutes. I don't know why that happens. But listen. <laughs> so, you know, in our bathrooms, in our bathrooms here, we don't, we don't have a lot. I mean, this is, not, this is a school. So we can't decorate it the way we want to decorate it. You know, when we had our building over in, in Douglasville, it was like a little bistro in the women's bathroom. It was really nice. Because I just, I just believe that it should be that way. I believe when, when anybody, but particularly when women, y'all, I want to be right with y'all. I want y'all to have a full-length mirror and all of that kind of stuff. But here, we don't have a lot. We just bring in a little table and put in soap, lotion, and paper towel. And flowers. Yep, we don't have that in the men's bathroom. I didn't know. <laughs> Thank y'all here. Yeah, I didn't know. So anyway, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I like flowers. Put some flowers in my bathroom. Anyway, so we use Bath and Body Works soap and lotion, right? 
that, that is a standard of pastors. It's not a standard for pastor. It is a standard of pastors. Okay? Why? Because not everybody uses that in their house. Watch. Why don't everybody use that in their house? Well, it's not in everybody's budget. You get what I'm saying? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's not in everybody's budget. So I walked in the bathroom one day and we had some Equate soap. That's the Walmart brand, okay? Now don't get me wrong, some stuff I buy in Walmart brand, very few things. Only because to me, when I tried it, like I like bread and butter pickles, pickles from Kate's, Kate's Pickle Plant, that's North Carolina, so that's why we, we you know. So one day I bought the, and so Megan was like, Daddy, you need to buy, the, you try to be spending all this money, you need to buy the Walmart brand. So I was like, okay, bread and butter pickles is not something you just absolutely have to have in your house. So okay, fine, I'll buy the, I'll buy the, like no flavor whatsoever. And I was like, see, this is why I don't do this. But anyway, so we had Equate in our bathrooms, and I walked in one day, and as I was getting soap, I realized, this is Equate. <laughs> so I went on to wash my hands and stuff, right? And so I went back, and I was like, hey, what's up? And so we were out. We hadn't reordered, hadn't filled up. And so because Elder Chris solves problems, he didn't bring that to nobody like we are. This is what we had. This is what we used. Solved the problem. <laughs> he just solved the problem. So then when God and Flo got together, you know, we talk about the weightier matters of the church. You know, we talk about people and, and somebody's going through this and somebody's in the hospital and we talk about money and giving and teaching. Then I was like, hey, I got a heavy issue. And everybody was listening. And I said, I went in the men's bathroom the other day. And we had equate soap. And I said, with much, in, I was just indignant. I said, let me say this. We don't do that at Christ Center Church. You would think that somebody was in there cussing and <laughs> fighting. And Here's why. Here's why. <laughs> so I had to explain to them this. There are some people who come to our church that this is not in their budget, but when they go into the bathroom, it becomes a moment of giving them something they don't have at home. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then when we set that standard, the standard is every time I go to Christ Center Church, I know I'm going to come out smelling good. So there may be some people who don't have any lotion because their budget can't manage it. But then they come here, and they know at least when I come here, I'm going to get lotion. Not only lotion, I'm going to get good lotion. It ain't going to wash off when your hands are wet. Obviously, that's a pet peeve of mine. So now what happens is, when you set a standard for people, at whatever the standard is, when they say yes to embracing that standard, that thing becomes a treasure. It's a treasure if I don't have any soap at home. And I'm not saying this for y'all to take it if you don't have any at home. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, at some point, there needs to be a measuring line that will cause me to expect better. 
This is what God is saying. God is saying, I have an expectation of you. Now I've already brought you out. And see, I love him because he didn't ask them for any kind of commitment until after he had changed their lives. You see what I'm saying? I brought y'all out. All y'all was about to be dead. <laughs> That's what God was like. So let's talk a little bit. Because I'm looking to establish some people. And maybe somebody yelled out to him and said, hey, but you, you created the whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I created the whole world. But not the, the whole world ain't mine. See, that's what we get wrong. We feel like because people exist, they belong to God. That's not true. That's not true. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So when you are led by the Spirit, you are obedient. And so now as God is putting together a village, he says, I want some people who will meet me at this standard and let me see who they are. You do this and you go be my treasure. Above everybody in the world. So let me tell you what this makes me feel like when I, when I say yes to this. The boys used to have a crayon box for all their projects from K2, they all the way up now, Kyle's in eighth grade. Crayon box, catch all crayon. Because you know with kids, somehow or another, they crayon can't stay in their box. So you got to get a big crayon box. And then you got all kinds of dull. You got the cheap dollar store crayon. You got the Crayola, great, good, good crayon. They broke. So then I would buy a box of 96. For those of you that don't know, I love to color. It's a stress reliever. Okay? Your pastor don't smoke weed. He colors. When I read this text about being a special treasure, this is what it feels like to him. I feel like that I am being moved out of the crayon catch-all box into the box of 96, that when you open it, it's colorful, it's in order, all these little white boxes inside this big box, it's all these different colors. And a sharpener on the back. Why? Because when I work, I get dull. And when I'm in his treasure, he has things within the box of treasure that keeps me sharp. He, he expects for me to get dull. He doesn't throw me away when I get dull. That's why this box is special. Because this box is so special that you don't throw away crayon that has sparkles in it because it's not like black, red, blue, and yellow. Instead, you look at that box and look at your coloring book and see what's on this page that I can use this color. Come on, y'all know it. If you get a box and you want to be able to use every color in the box, as a matter of fact, the more colors I have, the more creative I am. And this box is special to me. It is so special. My children will tell you they can't use it. <laughs> but daddy, can we just use your crayon? No. Yeah, but our crayons all broke up. Sorry. <laughs> like I don't, I don't compromise because that's my special treasure. 
It stays in my nightstand. It don't hang out with all the other paper goods and construction paper. It's too good for that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And what God is saying to us, he wants to, <laughs> God is building, has built his own Crayola crayon box with sharpeners, pristine white boxes. The way it opens, it displays itself. It's just different than all the ones that, the old boxes where all the, they just all the same level. When you open this one, it has tears. Listen, oh God, this crayon box, Vince, all the crayon can be seen at one time. Why? Because the box was designed to display the beauty of all the crayons and not just the, front, on the ones on the front row. That's why I want to be in his box. Because he, when I'm in his box, he displays everybody at the same time. It ain't just Jake's. It, come on. It ain't just uh, I own a lock. It, it just ain't. Y'all get what I'm saying? That's why he says, I want you to get, will you come to be my special treasure? Because I'm building a village. Here's what I came to tell you that I didn't get finished with. I'll, I'll finish it next week. God loves you enough that he gives you the opportunity to be his special treasure. 